0: Brought to you by the 2012 Toyota Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
2: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, did you ever watch Monty Python growing up? Monty Python's Flying Circus?
2: I did, yes. Yeah.
1: How how much like in what quantities?
2: Um, well, you know, I would say here and there. It probably wasn't until I was more of a teenager uh, that I really sort of dabbled in it. Yourself? Oh, strict yeah. diet. I'm well, imagining for
1: for a sh- for a short period of time. Definitely like junior high. There was a period in there where they were showing it regularly on on, uh, the, on the Comedy Network, what, whatever it was called at the time, and and I was this totally new thing to me. So I just ate it up, and then then of course. Uh, me and my friends got into uh, Monty Python the Holy Grail, Life of Brian, mm-hmm. all that, and just it consumed us for a while and, and definitely had a big impact on, uh, on my sense of humor and I think most people uh, of my age and the earlier generations as well. But but there was something about being at just the right age, just at the right time when all of it was on TV, and you just you couldn't help but absorb it.
2: Now, did you ever go lowbrow and put a little Benny Hill in there?
1: Um, you know, Benny Hill was on, and you're at that age where... Aspects of Benny Hill's show definitely appeal to, to, to young male minds. but mm-hmm. And it's ultimately, I mean, it was a little body, but it was so silly, like all those chase scenes. They, yeah. they do kind of suck you in a bit. But I don't, I don't even, I guess they were showing that on Comedy uh, Central as well. Hmm. But uh, today, we are talking particularly about uh, one sketch. Mm-hmm. And we're going to roll out the science from this one sketch. And uh, you can probably guess what it's going to be. We're going to play a
0: quick clip from it here, and then we'll talk about it. This man is Ernest Scribbler, writer of jokes. In a few moments, he will have written the funniest joke in the world. And, as a consequence, he will die laughing.
1: We're talking, of course, about the joke that kills people, the killer joke, the joke that in this sketch is ultimately weaponized. Um, they, they end up uh, having it. Anyone who hears it laughs themselves to death. And so uh, they have to uh, get people to translate it into German. This is during World War II, supposedly. Right. Uh, get separate people to translate segments of the joke because no one can read the whole thing at once or they'll die.
2: But there, there was uh, one instance in the story that... Uh, they had two words that were translated, yes. and then they were hospitalized.
1: Yes. So, yeah. so you have to be careful, yes. yeah. because, because the joke in its entirety will kill you. It's so funny. And even just a little segment, like maybe just the punchline is enough to do you in. So they had to send in, uh, they had to break it up into different words, have translators translate each word, and then reassemble it in German, mm-hmm. and then it was in, utilized on the front lines in World War II. They would have somebody who did not understand German read the joke aloud, and then, um any German infantryman that happened to hear it would just die laughing right there, so go ahead and go ahead and read it for us, and just a quick warning: if you speak German, watch out. this might uh, have harmful effects,
2: yeah, just uh I mean, maybe even just turn it off for a moment. Okay. yeah, all right, <clears throat> here comes a joke joke warfare. <laughs>
1: See now, I, I couldn't understand it, or I would have. I would have died.
0: Mm-hmm. Just
1: now I laughed at that just because I enjoyed the the Germanness of it, and your and your accent was uh, was was excellent. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, anyone who actually speaks German may recognize that those are not all real German words. This is ultimately nonsense and gibberish, uh, because they couldn't. They didn't actually have a joke at the center of this. The, the content of the joke is a MacGuffin. There's a lot of fiction of, that they create around it, just saying that if you hear this joke, if you understand it, it kills you dead. But one can't help but wonder, is it possible to have a joke that's so funny that it kills people, right? It's possible. It's possible.
2: But, of course, that would be uh, sort of of complicated underlying conditions here, Right. right?
1: Right. Now, first of all, you would have to have an exceedingly funny joke, like the funniest joke possible. And how would we possibly find that? Well, in 2002, some researchers actually looked into this. And uh, it took place at the University of Herefordshire. Psychology professor Richard Wiseman started a program called Laugh Lab. The objective, find the funniest joke across all cultures, regions, demographics, countries. The funniest joke that can be unleashed, I guess, on, on the world for <laughs> global domination. Well, maybe not the global domination part. But the, uh, he was interested in what makes people tick and certainly what, uh, how senses of humor vary among different groups as well. So they set up a website, and they spent a year collecting jokes. People would share their favorite jokes, their, the funniest joke they knew on this website. Other people would come in and rate the jokes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so over time, the website received 40,000 jokes and 1.5 million ratings from all over. They got some international press exposure, so lots of people were chiming in. Right. So of the 40,000 jokes submitted, the winner uh, was won by a, a guy by the name of Gerpel Gossel. Which, Which, right there, it's
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> funny.
1: Um, a, th- a 31-year-old psychiatrist from Manchester, England, and the joke went something like this. Two hunters are out in the woods when one of them collapses. He doesn't seem to be breathing, and his eyes are glazed. The other guy whips out his phone and calls the emergency services. He gasped, my friend is dead. What can I do? The operator says, calm down. I can help. First, let's make sure he's dead. There's a silence. Then a gunshot is heard. Back on the phone, the guy says, okay, now what?
0: Now, <laughs> See, I don't
2: know. That wasn't yeah. I, I, that wasn't my favorite. I have to say.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. And I think that's maybe something worth noting here is that you have such varied senses of humor mm-hmm. that if you find something that everyone agrees on or the vast majority of people agree on, it's not going to be good. It's like it's like hotel food. The hotel food or food that's catered at a hotel event, it has to be palpable by various um, senses of taste, various aversions to spices. It has to meet all these different dietary requirements. So when you check everything off the list, you're going to end up with some pretty bland fare, right?
2: Yeah, and you're right. This is across all cultures. This was the winning joke. But I did think it was interesting that uh, there are different cultural tastes in in humor. And according to the study, people from the Republic of Ireland, the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand all express a strong preference for jokes involving wordplay. Which sort of makes sense. I mean, if you th- if you think, especially when I think about Irish humor. Yeah.
1: Um, so do, you, here- do you want to read that one?
2: Yeah, I was okay. going to say. Here's an example from that study uh, that that uh, plays this. Doctor, I've got a strawberry stuck up my bum. Doctor says, I've got some cream for that. Uh, <laughs> that just, now, yeah.
1: now that one, when I re- when I read it uh, and heard it again, that one made me laugh a little more. Yeah, I have because, to say. Yeah. Because I like the wordplay of it.
2: Well, and stuck up my bum right there is just it's funny stuff. That's good material.
1: Yeah. So the study figured out some interesting things about jokes in general. Like they found that the perfect length of a joke is around 100 words. Mm-hmm. That the best animal to place uh, in, a, as, in a person's role, the best uh, anthropomorphized animal to feature in a joke, is the duck. Yes. Which Which I think is perfect. There's always the joke you can make. There's lots of, of wordplay to be made with a duck's bill, you know, putting it on the duck's bill and and ducks are always walking into bars, you know how they and do And yeah, so. they waddle. Yeah, they waddle. Yeah. And uh, they found that, this was interesting too, that Germans appreciate a wide variety of humor.
2: Yes. And I immediately thought, oh, well, I, I remember when Seinfeld played in Germany and there was all of this kerfuffle because um, it was polled. It just didn't do that well, That mm-hmm. the uh, TV series Seinfeld in Germany. But So I immediately thought, oh, well, you know. You know, let me do just a sweeping generalization. Perhaps they don't have the sense of humor that other people do.
1: Well, yeah, but st- it turns
2: out that they actually have a more nuanced and complex sense of humor. Hmm.
1: Well, it, that's what they say. And <laughs> Okay, on one hand, there's like the, the, the stereotypical German that we all sort of get this idea. A uh, German is a very serious uh, regimented person, and maybe they're not that inclined to humor, despite the fact that they do have all puppet hip-hop acts. Uh, in Berlin, but when I was there briefly, on, like a school trip back in high school, I, I distinctly remember turning on the German TV, mm-hmm. and even then, I was ex- I was expecting some you know sort of sprockets esque worky Germanness, mm-hmm. and there was a comedy on for sure. It was on in the lobby of this uh, this hotel, and it was some it was really Benny Hill esque and reminiscent of the the really outlandish uh, humor that you'll see on various Spanish television mm-hmm. um, sites. So so that Alone, let me know that, yes, there's some... Not all German humor is necessarily going to be that complex. Uh, and I would we'll like the study that out. They like a wide variety of things. So stereotypes are a little elusive, I guess, in figuring all of that out.
2: Although, uh, to continue to talk about stereotypes, I should mention that uh, in terms of cultural tastes, Americans and Canadians tend to prefer jokes that are trade on the theme of superiority, either, you know, sort of making fun of it or elevating it. Um, here's an example. A Texan says, where are you from? And a Harvard grad says, I come from a place where we do not end our sentences with prepositions. And then the Texan says, okay, where are you from, jackass? Ah. Uh, and actually, my, I, I, I've heard my father-in-law tell this oh. story before, some sort of version of it. So I thought that was interesting. And then there's a computer-generated joke that actually made the cut here. Because the researchers wanted to insert some computer-generated jokes to see how they would do. And they uh, they put five of the jokes in there. Four of them fell flat. But one of them was successful. Do you know that one?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, we have it right here. What kind of murderer has moral fiber? A serial killer. Uh, I love it. Yeah?
2: I got to tell you, I don't know what that says about my sense of humor, but that's well, funny.
1: Well, that gag scored higher than one-third of all human jokes. So... I I guess it's you know the computer world. Uh, The robots are the the kind of stand-up comedians. They get up there, they're gonna they're gonna throw stuff out there. That's just gonna fail. But when they hit it, you know it's gonna be. Yeah, they they they're gonna bring the laughs.
2: Well, that kind of also harkens back to our episode on uh, computers and creativity, right? And their ability to actually make something that is novel. Uh, But anyway, there you go. Here's the research about the funniest joke in the world. You know, obviously no one is going to die from laughing, but, um, this, this term we even have, dying of laughter, is something that has been with us for centuries. And you can actually place it back in, um, in Taming of the Shrew around 1596 when oh. Shakespeare wrote, uh, went they not quickly, I should die with laughing. Which really sort of means if they hadn't left soon, I would have died laughing. So it's been around for a while, this mm-hmm. idea that we could laugh so hard that we could expire from it.
1: And I'm going to run through uh, a few more examples of, of supposed, in some cases, uh, and then some more verified cases of people who've actually died, quote-unquote, of laughter. But real quick, we should, uh, we should touch base on just, uh, just a reminder about laughter and physiology. We recently did an episode titled, what did we call that episode?
2: The laughter episode? The
1: healing la- power of laughter. That's what it was.
2: That's right. Yes.
1: So we, we talked about how a good hearty laugh can help you out. It can heal you. It can it, it gets your, your heart beating. It's a full body experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, basically, when we laugh, we have changes occurring in all different parts of the body, even the arms, the legs, obviously the trunk muscles. I mean, we have the term belly laugh for a reason because you're laughing so hard you're just... You're shaking like a bowl full of jelly, right? Uh, respiratory system is up, is upset. Um, in some cases, you're actually crying. Um, you're you're maybe struggling for breath. Your face becomes moist and red. I mean, you, you, you're having a full-body episode. And if you did not know what laughter is, if you'd grown up in a mystical land where there was no humor and you saw somebody laughing, you might think it was some sort of a seizure.
2: It's true. And actually, speaking of seizure, let me just kind of... Uh go over how it's working in your brain. Uh, your brain's pre-mortar cortical region is activated, and this is important because this is the part of the brain that stands up ready to react to sound. And then the left side of your cerebral cortex interprets the content and the structure of the piece of humor. And then the right side of the cortex performs the analysis, enabling you to get the joke. And then an electrical wave pulses through your cerebral cortex about four-tenths of a second later and you laugh if the wave takes a negative charge. So already right there, you can see that there's a very complex set of motions going on in your brain and your body.
1: And if you were to tell me, hey, the government's working on a weapon that does just this list of things to the human body, mm-hmm. I'd be like, whoa, I'm not even sure if that's a, a non-lethal weapon. That sounds potentially dangerous and a little, that might be outlawed by some sort of international convention. But it could conceivably just be a real, real well-told joke.
2: And it's true because um, we know that laughing sometimes will lead to blacking out. Uh, and this is usually related to over-breathing, and it's usually not too dangerous. But um, there are times when you've got underlying conditions where it could actually become quite dangerous.
1: Yes, and, and we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But first, people who have died or are said to have died by laughter, I'm not going to run through all of them. You can easily find a list of these accounts online, but I'm going to touch on a few of them here. One important one, at least in the lore of dying uh, by laughter, is Chrysippus. Chrysippus was amongst the most influential philosophers of the Hellenistic period, and it had a huge role on the development of Stoicism, which is excellent, because you, you tend to think of a, a Stoic individual as not necessarily being a person who's going to engage in a lot of laughter, much less a lethal dosage of laughter. Right. As it turns out, there are two different stories about it, how he died, uh, and he died at the age of 73, and and that was in uh, two two hundred and six BC.
2: Okay, that's a pretty advanced age for yeah. that time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know he's living. He's like a philosopher. And to be a specialized philosopher in any age, it kind of implies that maybe you have a you know not not to not philosophers, but you're not going to get crushed by a falling rock generally. You're generally. not going to be
2: doing a lot of hard labor, is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, one story is that Crispus just drank a lot of wine at a feast, grew dizzy, and, and died. Okay. That's possible but then there's another story that after uh, an ass you know a donkey had eaten up his figs he cried out to an old woman now give the ass a drink of pure wine to wash down the figs and then he laughed so heartily that he died so <laughs> um the- i just
2: love that that from this period it seems like people are getting their pets and the farm animals drunk a lot i
1: Yes. Okay. You're thinking, of course, of uh, our friend uh, Tico Brahe.
2: Th- yeah. yeah. Well, actually, who was later on. But still, I, I I'm kind of think that this is in absence of any parlor games. Uh, you should go ahead and get the, the animal off the farm and start <laughs> having it chug something.
1: Well, it comes back to the duck, right? The whole reason they asked the question, what's the most hilarious animal to have doing human things and engaging in a human joke? The duck is certainly the, the funniest, but there are other funny creatures to have to do human things, and one of them is the donkey. A donkey doing anything non-donkey is pretty hilarious. Likewise, the monkey. Uh, like, uh, it's interesting if you look, go to a museum, go to a big museum next time. Be on the lookout for this particular motif: a monkey riding a horse. It's it's generated laughter since time out of mind. Since we've actually ridden horses, like the idea that a monkey could do it is just somehow instantly hilarious. You can read into that what you will perhaps it's the the idea that a monkey riding a horse is is threatening what if they ride it'll be like planet of the apes right or maybe it's just the fact that we look down on the monkey as something less than us and the idea that the monkey could do what we do is in that laughter zone for us
2: well it's like whenever i want to make my daughter laugh i'll just say like hey do you think that car ahead of us do you think that a cat's driving it yeah and then she'll start laughing outside but it's wearing a bow tie and it's huh? just because it's you just up the
1: ante even more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, used
2: the layers of ridiculousness, right? Yeah,
1: goats, cats, puppies—I mean, all fair game for, for laughter by by far. Anyway, so Chrysippus, who knows? There are two stories there. Certainly, if he was seventy-three, I could imagine it's possible that he died by laughter.
2: It's true. He might have had uh, you know again an underlying heart condition there.
1: Another guy of note from the old world—well, not as old world. Uh, we have a man by the name of Martin of Aragon, Martin was uh, the king of Aragon, Valencia, Sardinia, Corsica, and count of Barcelona from 1396 and king of Sicily from 1409, and he died in 1410. Okay, so what happened here? Uh, the accounts say that he died due to a kind of a mixture of serious indigestion and laughter. Now, he was only 56, and I think one possibility here is that uh, I was reading a little bit about heart attacks and you do have this uh, situation where someone someone has only say seen a heart attack on television mm-hmm. what do they think of they think of Fred Sanford having the big one these hollywood heart attacks mm-hmm. but in reality you can sometimes have a heart attack experience a heart attack and you might conceivably pass it off as indigestion because it's not this hollywood fred sanford stumbling around the room kind of situation mm-hmm. so it seems to me and i'm no uh, you know i'm not weighing in as an expert here but it seems to me it's it's likely That he may have had a heart attack while laughing, and that's what killed him.
2: You wearing that lab coat and saying that at the same time, I totally (laughs) believe you.
1: (laughs) That's why you need to to look expert. Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah, it's very very possible. And again, this this is a sort of theme we see when we look at more modern cases of this.
1: And who knows? Again, anytime you're looking at two possible ways a person died, like ultimately, like no one wants to die laughing. But you got to admit, it, it sounds like a good way to go. Like, if you got to go out some way and it's a little stressful, it might as well be dying laughing.
2: Uh, yeah, I can, there are many, many other ways that I wouldn't yeah. want to go
1: out. So you could see that where certainly centuries or millennia after someone has died, uh, the story might get shifted into a, a happier, oh, he was a Stoic, but he died laughing. It's just a great story, you know? Yeah. Which brings us to more modern times. There have been a few instances, but the most interesting one, the one that it has been more closely studied certainly has become part of comedy lore, uh, has to do with a little show called The Goodies, which I was not familiar with this. Were you familiar with The Goodies?
2: No, but just the entire situation and what this person was laughing at, it, I couldn't help yeah. it, but be tickled by it. I mean, I, it's unfortunate for the person who passed away from laughter at this, but we were talking about this good, The Goodies, which is a TV show, and uh, we're talking about 1975, right? Right. 50-year-old bricklayer Alex Mitchell... In England. He uh, actually kicked the bucket while roaring with laughter at one of these shows from yes. Goodies. And do you want to describe this sketch? Oh,
1: this sketch is. We, cause, okay, so the Goodies is basically three dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one or more of them went to college with the guys in Monty Python. So they kind of shared a similar love of the absurd. And it's certainly absurd to watch. Again, I'd never seen any of this, and I don't have any nostalgia for it. So. If you're a big fan of the goodies out there, write in. I'd love to hear your take on it. But this particular sketch that arguably killed Alex Mitchell was a Kung Fu caper sketch. Uh, and this is a, a 1975. Kung Fu's big and everyone's excited about it and doing songs and whatnot. In this surreal sketch, you have a man from, uh, Lancashire battling via Kung Fu Scottish bagpipers. There's a man in blackface as an American boxer. There's a mime, like a French mime. There's an Australian with a boomerang. So it's like a battle, like a kung fu battle, of weird, kind of distasteful stereotypes. I mean, it's seventy-five, so you.
2: Well, isn't there? There's pudding involved. Yes, here, right. This yes, is, I think the pudding is what I was like. What? What is going on? Good. Yeah, the La- the
1: Lancashire mode of martial arts in this is called Icky Thump, and uh, it involves Whoa. pelting opponents with black pudding.
2: Okay, so the, the White Stripes.
1: Don't they yeah, have an album they had called Icky Thump? Icky Thump, which yeah. I, I, I can only assume there's some sort of correlation here. There's some sort of... Uh, Nutty White yeah. Stripes.
2: Okay. So, yeah, this guy is watching this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, after 25 minutes of laughing, he actually, his, according to his wife, gave a tremendous belly laugh and then keeled over. Yes. Um, yeah, what a way to go. And it wasn't just that he was laughing so very hard that he expired, um, you know, from a heart attack. It was actually that he had an unusual inheritable heart rhythm disorder called long QT syndrome.
1: Yeah. QT, like the, uh, the gas station.
2: Yes. yes. Quick trip. And this actually, again, keeps showing up uh, again and again that there's some sort of underlying heart condition. And I did want to mention the Danish audiologist. Have you heard about this guy? No. He died laughing in 1989 while watching a fish called Wanda.
1: Oh well, that now that I can I can get because there is some death and again the Python element. Here. I
2: know. See, it is dangerous, right? Um, when the film was shown in theaters in Denmark, Ole Benson, the the audiologist, laughed himself to death during the scene where Ken gets chips stuck up his nose. Or rather, um, I can't remember the is
1: oh, it Otto? Is yes, the yes. Um- Klein's character.
2: Yeah, Kevin Klein's character, I think it was Otto sticks French fries also called chips, right, up his nose. So Benson is watching this, his heart rate went between two hundred and fifty to five hundred beats per minute, and he eventually succumbed to cardiac arrest. And his family theorizes that the scene reminded him of a family dinner a few years earlier when Ole put a piece of cauliflower up his and everyone. Uh, in his family's noses as a joke and made a bet with them <laughs> on who could eat up their carrots without cauliflower falling out. So they think that the scene with Ken and the chips really sort of incited this crazy laughter because he was remembering this his own scene. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's very sad, i got to say. But Fish Called Wanda is a very, very funny movie.
1: Yeah, but uh, in this case, Mitchell... QT syndrome, cardiac arrest, triggered by exertion, adrenaline, or a strong emotional response. It doesn't always shut down the person entirely. Sometimes the uh, heart resets itself after five or six beats. Mm-hmm. But they figured that this was what was at the heart of it when they diagnosed his daughter with it, and it's a hereditary condition. Mm-hmm. So the doctors at that point said, well, this this is clearly the leading candidate for how this Goody's sketch did him in. And, you know, we were talking about it being a... Good way to die, uh, as good as any of them are, and certainly his um, his wife uh, his, his widow, she continues to have a rea- rather positive viewing of this, like she actually wrote the guys in the goodies and said hey my my, my husband he was always a huge fan, and he died laughing at your show and you know
2: this is be- before we became a very litigious society, I have to say this <laughs> is one thousand nine hundred and seventy five Uh, I don't know if the same thing would happen today. Uh, There's another person, too, that we have an example of. This is the ice cream truck driver in Thailand. Oh, yes, yes. He actually died in his sleep laughing. And his wife said that she tried to wake him up, but he kept laughing. And then an autopsy suggested that he might have had a heart attack. Uh, So not only are you dying in your sleep, but you're dying while you're, you know, uh, presumably having a really funny dream.
1: yes. And then we also should mention laughter-induced asthma. This is not really a strong candidate for killing anyone, a laughter-induced asthma. More than half of people with asthma report that their symptoms are brought on by laughter. And this is according to a 2005 study from NYU Medical Center in New York. Asthma that's uh, triggered by laughter usually doesn't seem to cause serious asthma flare-ups compared to other types of asthma, but uh, the study did suggest that laughter-induced asthma may be a sign that your asthma isn't as well-controlled as it could be. So it's more of a... More of a warning sign that you, you need to adjust your management of, uh, of your asthma than anything else. Before we get into pathological laughter, I want to mention one more thing that can contribute to not lethal laughter, but certainly an issue where laughter shuts down the body in interesting ways, and that is uh, cataplexy. This involves a sudden loss of voluntary muscle tone that may be triggered by strong emotions. It's often a, a symptom of narcolepsy which is a chronic disorder of the central nervous system characterized by the brain's inability to control your, your sleep-wake cycles. It can occur spontaneously, but is often triggered by, again, sudden strong emotions such as fear, anger, stress, excitement, or humor. Mm-hmm. So laughter is reportedly the most common cause of this. And if this is ringing any bells for anyone out there, there was an episode of This American Life a few years back about a neuroscientist by the name of Matt Frecking who suffers from cataplexy attacks when he's happy. So it was a real one of these really downer, somber episodes of This American Life because he's a happily married man, mm-hmm. and he, but he has to limit his joy because his body shuts down when he experiences too much happiness in his life.
2: That's just awful. It
1: is. Uh, it, it's a great episode. Uh, so look that one up. Just look up Matt Threking, F-R-E-K-I-N-G, in This American Life, and you'll find that episode.
2: Well, I mean, you know, because we're all seeking joy and happiness all the time, right? And To think that you'd have to actually tamp that down.
1: Yeah. It's like he's, um, you know, in a way it's like enforced Buddhism in a kind of Mm -hmm. twisted manner, you know, about trying to steer yourself clear of extremes. But, yeah, it's it's rough.
2: Hmm. All right. Um, You had mentioned pathological laughter. Now, this, according to the Mayo Clinic, is a laughter that can stem from a variety of neurological disorders. And it can make it extremely difficult, sometimes impossible, for individuals to control their laughter, even if they see no humor in a situation. And in some cases, this uh, pathological laughing can switch to pathological crying. Yes. And the person cannot do anything about it. And that's that's the thing about this is, again, there's... The context may be completely like you could be in a job interview and begin this pathological laughing or crying. It seems to occur most frequently among people with something called amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and this is a disease of cerebral and spinal nerve cells. And then almost half of these patients have these PLC symptoms. So they're not exactly sure what is the mechanism that is creating this uh, sort of disorder, but uh, you know they're looking more into it.
1: Yeah, PLC pathological laughter and crying, and the the take home here is that it's a disturbance of feeling rather than a disturbance of emotion. So right. it's not that. You know, so if you know anyone or encounter anyone that has this, it's not that they're sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, funerals are hilarious." No, it's this that like they're feeling the authentic emotions or feeling what they should feel in a scenario, but mm-hmm. then what it, what comes out. That's where the the disconnect happens.
2: Now there is this idea right. that um, a, it could be a serotonin imbalance, and they uh, think that because researchers have had some positive results with antidepressants uh, like the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Mm-hmm. So, again, they're still looking into this, but um, they don't know a whole lot yet.
1: In a lot of these conditions, too, it comes down to lesions and tumors that are uh, disinhibiting laughter and crying centers of the brain. They're basically altering the neural network necessary for what we think of as normal responses to Mm -hmm. situations.
2: Yeah, I remember one article that you had sent me. It was about a 2-year-old who had a lesion, and at the time, the mother didn't know it. She just, like, even the 2-year-old was... Laughing hysterically out of context, and they finally figured out. Um, now I believe they operated, and the child was okay. Mm. But yeah, it can definitely disturb the, what seems to be your personality.
1: Yeah, there's a really interesting YouTube video that I'll I'll definitely embed on the uh, blog post accompanying this uh, website. That a number of you may have seen. It was a Dutch interview, and on the YouTube you can you can click a, a little tab that will actually bring up subtitles for it. So mm-hmm. it's not just people in another language, you know, doing their thing. But there was a Dutchman by the name of Hoog Boss, and the whole thing is an interview with him and his wife, and the whole time he's laughing hysterically. Um, and be, this being the first time you see him, like, you, you know, we've talked about how laughter is contagious. Mm-hmm. So you see this man just laughing his head off, and you're like, this guy's hilarious. He's fun. He's, look at him. He's clutching like an Ernie doll at one point. Uh, but his wife is sitting there the whole time just is... Done with. It. She
2: is over it. She has the most sour look on her yeah. face. And you're right. At the beginning, you're like, "Oh man, he's he's great. He's warm. He's funny. Why? He's your husband, and he's laughing all the time. But so what?" And then a couple minutes into it, you realize how frustrating it must be for her.
1: Yeah, because he laughs all the time. His response to everything is laughter, except when he hears the national anthem, and then yeah, he cries Hol- when
2: he hears Holland's nat- national anthem. But now, this is what. Um, I don't think they actually got to the absolute bottom of but they suspect that this occurred because he had an operation and mm-hmm. they think that the anesthesia may have altered you know neurologically the way that he his laughter response is coming in and uh, because you know his wife says this didn't happen before the operation and again it is it is hilarious to watch but it's also kind of sad too because he doesn't really give a straight answer. Right. You know, he talks, but you can't really tell if he's just trying to tamp down his own laughter or if perhaps there's something else going on there.
1: Right. Now, and again, this is a situation uh, where someone is laughing at, at everything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, except for the national anthem. But there is an interesting study that you came across, uh, the Seinfeld study, where oh, you yeah. have an individual that is reacting has- with hysterical, pathological laughter, but only to a particular thing or a particular, a very narrow segment of comedy.
2: Yeah, it's called The Seinfeld Syncope, and it's basically a fainting episode through laughter. And it was called The Seinfeld Syncope because there have been a couple of instances where people were watching Seinfeld and only Seinfeld
0: mm-hmm.
2: and laughing to such a degree that they began to faint. But what is going on here is that uh, the show is actually revealing that there's a potentially serious problem in the person. The one guy who was 62 years old, he had a history of hypertension, hypertension hypercholesterolemia. He had a coronary bypass, and he was a smoker. And although he received enough blood to the brain when he was calm, when he laughed hysterically, he experienced a normal physiological phenomenon called the Valsalva Maneuver. Now, when this happens, you get forced expiration against a closed airway, resulting in increased pressure in the chest that affects the heart output.
1: Is that like the yoga breath, where you're like... (sighs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, skull breath, is yeah. that what you're talking about? Yeah, or fire breath or um, Breath of fire. Yeah, maybe in a way that... I don't know if it's the exact same thing, but...
0: But the it's other, akin to it. Though. Yes,
2: it's akin to it, and, and that is causing this pressure. And because he had blocked arteries coming off the aorta, this Valsavia maneuver reduced the blood flow to his brain and caused him to faint. Now, what he was watching specifically was the character of George Costanza, by the way.
1: Yeah, I found that... That, inter- that i mean that was what was so interesting that it was it was not just only Seinfeld but it was like one character on Seinfeld that was really causing this for him
2: and i could see if it was the marine biologist episode oh cuz i really like that Who one
1: Who the marine biologist well movie.
2: he was pretending to be a marine oh, biologist oh, yes, and, and then right. the whale that's right. washed up oh. You know, it's always fun to see George unmasked, but I don't know who knows which one it was.
1: But again, not so much that Seinfeld. and Seinfeld was funny, but but not so much that there was something about Seinfeld that was uh, that was impacting people's health. But the individuals had something askew in their own physiology that made them susceptible to this attack. Yeah. And just real quick, it's worth noting that you also uh, see things like Engelmann syndrome, Tourette syndrome. Uh, both of these carry laughter as a symptom. You often see pathological laughter occurring as a symptom. So it's not, oh, well, that person laughs all the time. It's no, that person laughs all the time. Let's get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. So Tourette's syndrome is a neurobiological disorder that causes a combination of tics and involuntary vocal outbursts. This is, we could do a whole podcast on, on Tourette's, but it, this is one that is often uh, misrepresented to a large extent. And mm-hmm. this is certainly in comedy. It's people come back to it and use it as a, as part of a comedy act where it's just someone shouting obscenities, but that's a rather simplistic look at what that condition actually is. And then Engelman syndrome is a rare uh, chromosomal disorder that affects the nervous system. So uh, people with this condition usually can't speak and display a, quote, happy, excitable demeanor with frequent smiling and laughter.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: So there you have it. Death by laughter, the possibility of death by laughter. I I guess the real take-home here is that you probably could not craft a joke so funny that it would you would have difficulty even crafting a joke to target a particular individual, like an assassin's bullet of a joke. Right. Like if you wanted to take out a sitting head of state, and you put a lot of research into, all right, what do they find funny? What's their what's their heart condition like? What you know? How healthy are they? If you put that much work in it, you could perhaps incapacitate them a little bit, maybe. But it would be very difficult to actually craft a killing joke.
2: Yeah, it would be very, very hard. Now, do you remember in the Monty Python skit about the world's most dangerous joke, the killing joke, Mm -hmm. what the Germans tried to craft in response? No, I don't. And they read over the radio, There (laughs) were three peanuts walking down the street, and one was assaulted. Peanut!
1: It is really funny. That's actually pretty good. I like it. It's too.
2: funny watching the reaction of the people who are listening to it over the radio because they're just, <laughs> they just, their faces are blank.
1: And but as absurd as that sketch is, it really does drive home the, the how. The absurdity, like humor, is one of those things that doesn't necessarily cross to other languages all that well. Like, yeah, I often feel like British humor. I totally get. I share the language with it. If I turn on the Spanish TV network and I happen to catch some of that, sometimes I'll I'll see some of the slapstick and it's making sense. But then I seem to have like a real disconnect with Japanese humor. Like I, I love a lot of media that comes this way from Japan, but but it, when I encounter humor, it often I often feel like, well, this is not speaking to me. Like my I don't have the right cultural wavelength set.
2: What about? Do you think there's a French humor?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Certainly. Okay,
2: tell me tell me about what you think the French humor is.
1: Well, I mean, the stereotype, of course, is that the French love uh, Jerry Lewis,
2: right? Yeah, but that's an American person.
1: Well, I mean, certainly you have like the roots of, of mime, and uh, and you have uh-huh. uh, puppetry is of course big street puppetry. I yeah, to see some. It's not Punch and Judy in France; they have another name, but. Uh, I have seen some some French puppetry in that vein, and it's it's hilarious, but I don't know. I think if we look close enough, we'd find that even French humor is more diverse than we think you know oh,
2: I'm sure i'm sure I'm just thinking that's not really known as as a big export for France, so yeah um i' <clears throat> just a just curious,
1: I tend to think the French this is just a huge generation. I think they like grotesque looking men doing ridiculous things, but I think that probably is <laughs> the same for most cultures, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Well, that's the episode. We'd love to hear from uh, you guys and gals out there. If you have any personal experience with, uh, with deadly laughter or with any of these conditions that we've mentioned here, we'd really love to hear some insider insight on that and what it's like to live with it. Or if you just have thoughts in general about laughter, uh, responding to this episode or our previous episode about the healing power of laughter, we've kind of given you the, the yin and the yang here. Uh, looking at laughter as this, this physiological um, mental event that in the right or wrong situations can go either way. So reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook, where we are Stuffed to Blow Your Mind. We're also Stuffed to Blow Your Mind on Tumblr. And you can follow us on Twitter under the handle blow the mind.
2: And you can also drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
0: HowStuffWorks.com. Yeah. Brought to you by the 2012 Toyota Camry. It's ready. Are you?